The following message was given during the Thanksgiving service on November 24, 2022, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. The title of this message is A Thanksgiving Warning, 2022. In your note sheet, boredom is never a good thing. I hope you and I all realize that. Boredom is never a good thing. In 2017, British Royal Air Force pilot Andrew Townshend got bored while piloting a military passenger jet. You would figure that would be one place you don't get bored. Behind the controls in a cockpit in a plane as a pilot. But he did. So he started to snap photos of the scenery through the window while he's flying the plane. He set his camera down in front of his seat's armrest, and then he slid his seat forward, making the camera inadvertently push the aircraft's side stick control. That disengaged the autopilot and sent the plane into a massive and quick steep dive, dropping 4,400 feet in just 29 seconds before he could muscle the controls of that massive plane back up and get the nose up. His boredom almost cost him and the passengers in that military jet their lives. After an investigation, the Royal Air Force fired him. Boredom has serious consequences. And that's number one in your note sheet. Boredom leads to Bad or serious consequences always. Boredom leads to bad or serious consequences always. On any given day, being bored may not put one into a 27-second life-threatening freefall like the lieutenant, but bad stuff still occurs as a consequence of being bored. Bored can lead to whining, dissatisfaction with life, unwillingness to do God's will, a growing hunger for evil, and a I-can't-be-bothered repenting attitude. One thing we should all know, and this is important to write on the one blank line under point number one, though boredom is a sin, Sin is never boring. So let's not take away from this that because boredom is a sin, that means sin is boring. No, it is not. Boredom is a sin. But sin is never boring. Sin is not chewing on a piece of cardboard. Sin is a luxurious and succulent steak. Sin excites us, and that's why it's so deadly and tempts us so easily. I've never heard in my own mind when tempted, never heard from any Christian, never read from any Christian leader or author who has said this, I am bored with sinning. You know, one of our great battles, according to Romans 6, is repetitive sin habits. In fact, our greatest battles with sin are in the repeated habits of sin 
we are inclined to gravitate toward. Wouldn't you think after sinning the same sin over and over and over and over again, you'd get bored with it? We are like dogs returning to the vomit, as Proverbs says. You can sin your same besetting sins thousands of times, and it'll still be exciting and tempt you like the very first time. That's the power of your sin. Your sin nature never gets bored. We like sin because we're wicked. So when I say that boring is a sin, I'm not saying all sin is boring. Sin is not boring. Now, there's one other point on this. I have found in my own life when I've had times of sinning the sin of boredom and in counseling others, that actually being bored is exciting. How could that be? How can being bored be exciting? Well, let's answer what boring is. Number two in your note sheet. What is boredom? Here's a good definition of any scriptural. Feeling weary because one is unoccupied. Feeling weary because one is unoccupied or lacks interest in one's current activity. Feeling weary because one is unoccupied or lacks interest in one's current activity. A classic line you can write onto this, boredom's mantra, boredom's mega philosophy is this. Write it down. I just don't feel like it. And I'll tell you something, not feeling like it feels awful good. The sin of boredom is not boring. It feels good to just say, I don't feel like doing it. Mm-hmm. The key issue with that definition is being weary and uninterested. If I don't feel like doing something, I won't do it. Discipline, according to the Bible's definition, is doing what we're called to do, whether we feel like it or not. The lazy, bored, apathetic believer wants none of that. Now, to save you some time, we're not turning to 2 Thessalonians 3.11-13. I've given it to you right in the text. We're going to bypass context and go right to the issues in your note sheet. This is a command against boredom. This is the best passage I found in the New Testament on the sin of boredom. And the numbers that you see are the three verses, 11, 12, and 13. And I've underlined four phrases in green for a purpose. Follow in your note sheet and read with me, not out loud. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. That's number one doing no work at all, that's number two. It looks like it's connected 
to that first one in green, but it isn't. Un leading an undisciplined line is the, life is the first green statement. Doing no work is the second green statement. Leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies, that's the third green statement. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, statement number four, and here's the definition of boredom. Do not grow weary of doing good. Do not grow weary of doing good. That's laziness, apathy, boredom. Write it down. Those are all partners. Laziness, apathy, boredom. They're all partners. The lazy person is apathetic and bored. It's a proverbial fool, if you remember looking up here. Too lazy to raise the spoon up to the mouth. Too tired. Bored. Weary of doing good. The two people that are the most tired individuals in the body of Christ are the lazy professed believer and the supremely sacrificial serving believer. Isn't it ironic? The ones that are the ones who are always weary, the lazy do nothing, I'm too tired to do anything. And the hardworking sacrificial server who's wiped out from having to do everything that the lazy Christians aren't willing to do. Now you have three green underlined sins. Those are sins. Leading an undisciplined life, number one, is a sin. Doing no work is a sin. In fact, that one's so bad that one of the most puzzling verses in the New Testament is this. Paul writing to Timothy. If anyone refuses to work, he is worse than an unbeliever. Oh my goodness. I always thought being an unbeliever was as bad as you could get. Have you ever taken time in 1 Timothy to check that verse out and try to figure out what on earth that would mean? But I'll tell you this, even if we don't understand everything it means, we do know this, choosing to not work is one of the worst sins you can ever commit. And it's right there, doing no work. If you know anyone who's a professed believer who refuses to work, that is a major tell that the person's not a believer. I'm not talking about individuals who can't work for various reasons, not ones who choose not to work. And there's a host of reasons why godly Christians may not be able to work, physically, circumstantially, residency issues. There's a host of reasons why a person could be godly and not be able to work, but we're talking about an individual here in this text that just chooses not to, and they could be working. Third sin connected to boredom, and these are all connected together, acting like busybodies. Verse 12 tells us that these are the ones that he's still talking about in verse 12. Now such persons we command. And then he talks to believers in verse 13. Do not grow weary in well-doing. If you grow weary in well-doing, it's because you're bored. Now, that last statement is the one I want to focus on. Do not grow weary in, of doing good or weary of well-doing. That's boredom. The last statement is the definition of boredom. 
It is one verb in the Greek. It is intensive. Not shall grow weary. This is passionate, prohibitive command by Paul. Not shall grow weary means you had better not be growing weary and doing good. Weary is a very interesting word in the Greek. Ek kakeo. Prefix ek means out. Kakos means bad. Out bad. How does that become weary? Context of ekakeos means I am influenced negatively because of inner badness. I am influenced to come out of righteousness due to inward badness. It is bad coming out. Boredom is bad coming out in this context that requires the individual, because of horrific badness in the heart, to not do God's will, to not work for the Lord, to not do good. There's a horrible result of the first three things. Lazy, undisciplined, lazy and bored, doing no work. Third green statement, lazy and not minding one's own business is a terrible sin. Absolutely a terrible sin. Next in your note sheet, the driving force, I believe, behind the modern evangelical church moving away from bibliocentric worship is driven by a crisis of faith in the Bible. A crisis of faith in the Bible, which is driven in great part by boredom from the Bible. Boredom with the Bible. A crisis of faith in the Bible is driven by a great part by boredom with the Bible. This is why churches are gutting their teaching services, as I've told you many times before. Getting rid of teaching services. There used to be at least, when I was a kid, there'd be anywhere from three to four, five Bible teaching services in any good Bible-believing church every week of the year almost. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday nights on Sundays, Wednesday night teaching service, and usually another teaching service during the week. Five teaching services. The evangelical church has reduced that to a devotionette on a Sunday at morning service only. That's a crisis of faith in the Bible. It is a reductionism that is obliterating Bible teaching to believers who aren't interested in the Bible anyways and don't study it themselves. Crisis of faith is driven by boredom with the word. The evidence of Bible boredom is permanent Bible ignorance. That's how you can tell the church is in party and giving itself over to heresy because the professed believers don't know the Bible at all because they're bored with it. Nobody studies what they're bored with. Nobody enjoys what they're bored with. We hate things that can bore us. We try to avoid them at all costs. I used to passionately watch every Bears game when I was young. Even while my wife was giving birth to our first daughter, Allison, I was holding her hand in the office while I was cheering Walter Payton to make a touchdown. Now, to sit for three hours in a football game, you would have to pay me a ton of money to do that, and I probably would take the money and not do it anyways. I have no desire to watch football or any other sport. A total waste of my time 
It bores me. We're Bible ignorant because we're bored with it. If we hungered for it and loved it, we would be passionately pursuing it and knowing it. 2 Timothy 4, as I've many times referred you to, because it's a linchpin passage, we're not going to go there either, but it predicts that at the end of the church age, there were church age, there will be a massive lust and excitement for false teaching and unbiblical things at the end of the church age. And we know we're in the end of the church age because of three prophetical issues that have come true that have never been true at any other time in history but now. Number one, Bible preaching has died. It's not dying, it has died. As apostasy and heresy have grown in the churches. Number two, Israel is back in the land, isolated and hated. And number three, we're seeing the horrible signs of Luke 24 chaos, including plagues and terrorism. The two, two number one and two signs in Luke 24 of what will happen before the rapture and tribulation are plagues and terrorism mentioned right in Luke 24, and we're getting those. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul says in that climate, the church will be wrecked. Churches will be wrecked. Our church is wrecked. Why is our church wrecked? Because we teach the Bible and make it supreme, and you can see there's no popularity for that. None. No taste for that. That's why Paul said to Timothy, they will not endure sound doctrine at the end of the church age. People don't endure it today. They don't even know sound doctrine. They're bored. Boredom drives ignorance. Boredom with worship drives a desire to change worship. Boredom with witnessing drives an inactivity in witnessing. Boredom and Bible study and Bible reading drives ignorance. If we hunger for the righteousness of God, we would seek the Bible. We're bored. Now what does this have to do with our text? Let's round the corner to that. Number four. Boredom and thanksgiving are enemies. Boredom and thanksgiving are enemies. Why don't Christians express thankfulness more often? Why do so many Christians behave in an unthankful, complaining way? They're ungrateful. Because they believe that they deserve more than they have and are bored with what they do have. Boredom drives narcissism, which drives self-worship, which drives lack of passion for God. Now look at our text. Psalm 95, verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the God of our salvation. There's passion there, shouting joyfully. We've already seen that, as your outline at the bottom. And on the next side, we'll show us in a moment. Verse 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. There it is. Thanksgiving. Again, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Now notice, this is the essence of worship and killing boredom. For the Lord, verse 3, is a great God and a great king above all gods. The psalmist is overwhelmed with the majesty and greatness of God as his Lord, his God, and his king. Lord, God, king. Master, all divine, omnipotent ruler. Lord equals master. Great God equals all Omnipotent, divine, and king means absolute ruler. And he is overwhelmed with that. And when you're overwhelmed with your God, you're overwhelmed with worship, you're overwhelmed with the word of God, when I no longer have much use for this God who saved me, yawn, yawn, I have no much, don't have much use for worship, church services, Bible reading, or study. 
This is passion extraordinaire, driven by this overwhelming majesty of the God who saved us, the last word of verse 1. Israel was struggling in David's day with boredom. They still followed the God of David. They still followed the true worship of Jehovah. But the seeds for corruption were already in the nation. Constantly enamored throughout the Old Testament with pagan nations. Bored with the rules of the law. Not listening to the apostle, the prophets of the Old Testament, nor the judges. This transitions as a direct application into the church today. The exact opposite of verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 95 is what I just mentioned, 2 Timothy 4. Not able to endure sound doctrine because God is not great in verse 3 here. So what we have today is bored, selfish Christians. Life for them is all about them. If they have to do something they don't like, they get bored. Imagine the horror of hell, folks, for eternity, not being able to do what a self-worshipper wants to do and being forced to burn forever against one's will. Nothing to do but suffer pain and anguish forever. That's the ultimate payback for godless, bored human beings. Now, why is this series again called a Thanksgiving warning? Because down through verse 7 is worship. Verse 6 says, come let us worship. Verse 7 says, for he is our God, we are his people. This is why we worship. Worship is only for his children. In the middle of verse 7, this film takes a dark, dark turn from thanksgiving to warning. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not what? Harden your hearts. Right above verse 8, you could write spiritual boredom. No, in Psalm 95. That's our text, Psalm 95. In Psalm 95, we never left this. I said, I, I referred to 2 Timothy, but I said, don't go there. Second Timothy, uh, Psalm 95, I'm sorry if I said 2 Timothy. I don't know what I said. I don't have any idea what I said. But anyways, Psalm 95, verse 7. Notice how it takes a turn. Today, if you would hear his voice, verse 8 of Psalm 95, do not harden your hearts. That's spiritual boredom right there. The exact opposite of everything. In verses 1 to 7. Verses 1 to 7 is salvation, truth, excitement, passion, love for God and worship. The warning is, don't harden your hearts. Don't be bored. Don't stiffen up in verse 8. It leads to the testing of God in verse 9. One of the great Old Testament and New Testament sins is to try God. And he hated them for that in verse 10. They erred in their heart, in verse 10. They are ignorant of his ways because of their hardness. If we are unpassionate towards God and we don't care about him and his word, boredom sets in and massive ignorance of his ways, in verse 10, takes place. These are marks of an unbeliever, and that's what verse 11 says. Now, you see the outline for the entire series at the bottom of the note sheet on the back side for a few minutes. We come to verse 3, Psalm 95, verse 3. We've seen already worship requires thanksgiving for God and the roots of thankful worship are in verses 1 and 2. Just, just remind yourself in verses 1 and 2, look at how many times joy is interlaced in verses 1 and 2. Let us sing for joy. Verse 1, let us shout joyfully. Verse 2, thanksgiving. Let us shout 
joyfully to him. Joy and thanksgiving are foundational to worship. These are spiritual virtues that only come to the godly. Only godly believers worship correctly. So that's the roots of thankful worship in your note sheet at the top. Little letter A, that's light face, the roots of thankful worship. We've already seen. We finished that last year. Now we look at the reasons for worship. Look at verse 3. Four. See the word for, F-O-R, at the beginning of verse 3? This gives us reasons why we are passionately, joyfully worshiping this God of our salvation. He gives us reasons why a godly believer worships correctly. And those reasons are in verses 3 to 5. Let's start with reason number 1 this morning. Letter B, the reasons for thankful worship, verses 3 to 5, Psalm 95. Reason number 1, fill in the blank. He is our supreme God. He is our supreme God, as I just mentioned. He is Lord, Master. He is great God, infinitely divine, and he is great King omnipotent ruler. He rules over us. He judges us. He masters us. He overpowers us. Without this truth in verse 3, this is a linchpin. This is a foundational hinge for the whole text. Without verse 3, we could not know and worship God. Truth about God's character is And his ways is foundational to worship. That's the point of verse 3. We must know who he is. And if we are excited over who he is, it empowers our worship. It makes everything change. It's not about format. It's not about contemporary versus hymns. This has been lost on a delusional church system today. It's not about song and dance. Or as Tony Evans did a few years ago in one of his worship services, he had a Christian striptease performed on his platform. Yeah. Tony Evans. And she took her clothes off, partially, in front of everyone, writhing sexually while he sat in the front row. When you dump the truth and supremacy of Christ and the Bible, and he dumped it years ago, by the way, because Tony Evans apostatized many years ago when he said that you don't need Christ to be saved. When you dump the truthful ways of God in verse 3 and his word, the sky's the limit to what will happen in a worship service. It's shocking. Only the person that is in love with the God of verse 3, impassioned by their salvation, to be bored with this is to shove the camera into the stick and to dive spiritually towards the ground. When a believer becomes bored with the very Savior that saved them from hell, why would they spend any time in the Word? And worship becomes... An ordeal. And if only the format would change, I would be more excited about worship. What a delusion. A human format cannot give you and I a great love for the Lord. It's impossible. So, truth about God's character. Under number reason number one, truth about his character and ways. This is foundational to worship. We can't know God without the Bible. We can't worship God without being excited about him. Worship is founded upon truth, not format, because he's the only way to know God more deeply and intimately. Christ is the only way you can know God is through Christ, as Hebrews 1 says, and we know Christ through the word. The key to your worship, if you're bored, the key to the problem if you're bored with the Bible, 
bored with witnessing, bored with serving, if that's in your heart, you just go through the motions, it doesn't mean a whole lot to you. Your problem is not the church. The problem is not the lesson being taught to you from the pulpit. The problem is not the format of worship. The problem is we don't love Christ. And we know that when that happens, the brakes are off. Turn to Matthew 24. Christ warned about the end of the church age in Matthew 24. You will know when the church has lost its passion for Christ when these things occur, and these are before the tribulation. Matthew 24, verse 10. Many will fall away and betray one another. That's in the church, by the way. He's not talking about society. You can't fall away from truth in society because the society never had it. Betraying one another and hating one another is among professed believers in the church, proven again by verse 11. False teachers, prophets is synonymous with teachers in the New Testament. False prophets will arise. They don't arise in society. They arise in the church. They mislead many. Just like 1 Timothy 4 tells us, the end of the church age would be marked by this. This is the rise of apostasy, the falling away of professed believers. Now notice verse 12. Lawlessness increases. For the New Testament believer, where do you find the law? Anybody out loud? Where's the law? God's word. It's talking to believers in the church with teachers, verse 11. Lawlessness is increased because people are turning away from the Bible. They become ignorant of the Bible, so they become lawless. And notice what comes next. Most people's love will what? That's apathy. That's boredom. Do you love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. Mm -hmm. And in this context, just like in 2 Timothy 4, where they don't endure sound teaching, Christ says in verse 13, you need to endure to the end. Endure what? True teaching. Endure with love. Back to Psalm 95. Coldness towards God and apathy is driven by lawlessness and Bible ignorance. We can't be thankful. Can't be thankful. Our worship experience is only as good, not as the format, it is only as good as our love in verse 3 of Psalm 95 of this great God. Without that, boredom replaces passion. Heresy replaces truth. Lawlessness replaces truth. Hate in churches replace love. Number one in your note sheet. And we'll stop with this and pick up numbers two and three underneath it next time. Number one, under reason number one, above key worship principle, this is not forced cheerfulness or manufactured passion. This is truly adoring worship. Truly adoring worship. It doesn't have to be forced. I was forced yesterday for three hours to sit in Car X in the waiting room because I got tired for a month of having to fill my decrepit marquee two tires full of air, 20 to 25 pounds every day before I went to Skyway or to church. So yesterday I reached the end of my rope, 
on that in that regard and said, I got to get this into sky into a car, so I got it over there. And there were rim leaks, and it took them three hours to deal with that and an oil change. But be that as it may, I was stuck, forced to watch the television they had on the foyer in car wrecks. And I had wished I'd had a knife to slit my throat as I had to watch Drew Barrymore. Don't need to say any more. And she had on guests giving thanks. Giving thanks! Giving thanks. To who? Not God. Huh? Didn't say. Just, it, it's like this, just give thanks. Stop. Give thanks. Interviewed this very millionaire wealthy couple who adopted two teenage boys from war-torn Kenya and uh, brought them to the United States, adopted them, they came into their house, and they were weeping and crying continuously. What were they weeping and crying over? Freedom in the U.S.? The God who spared them out of Kenya? They wept and cried continuously over things. The garage door opener. They'd never seen a car wash. The stuff that was poured on them. Smartphones, toys, weeping and crying over stuff. And all I could think of is those poor, poor teenage boys. They're being corrupted by the God of the United States. Materialism. They had passion and adoring worship for the things of this world. Better that they had groveled in the dirt back in Africa than to be brainwashed by comfort and things in this country. Nothing has destroyed the American church and made it bored with spiritual things more than things. Couldn't believe it. Showed a picture of them sitting for Christmas. They handed him a car toy. He grabbed it. And I'm not indicting these two young people. They're, they're obviously not safe. And, and they're living in a third world mentality that's 100 years behind the time. And he grabs this toy and he just goes like this. <laughs> and the father, oh, it just it speaks to our hearts to be able to give these boys things. Why don't you give them what they need? The God who is there. Salvation from hell. You see, this isn't forced cheerfulness in verse 3, as you wrote down. It's not manufactured. We weep and cry over what we're excited in love. The psalmist is not bored. He loves the Lord. He's overwhelmed with the greatness of God. Most believers today are underwhelmed with God's greatness. I've heard it all before. Blah, blah, blah. Another service, another sermon, another scripture. Is the problem really the format? Are we so foolish as to think so? The problem is a relationship with God. The Lord is a daily stranger to many professed believers. Shown so plainly by believers, swept down the river in their prayer lives and Bible knowledge. Why well, talk to God when I'm bored with him and he doesn't give me what I want and why should I study his word? I've heard it all before. 
So at the end of verse 3, we have a key worship principle. Down at the bottom, in the middle of your note sheet. Under point number one, we finish with this. Boredom in worship is not boredom with a worship format. Boredom with worship is not boredom with a worship format. I hope you young people especially mark this well. If you long for an exciting church with many people, fantastic facilities, quadraphonic PA system, band on stage, music to blow your minds with, and when you're dancing or feeling or tempted to dance and writhe with the music and you think you're close to God, you are not. Format does not make you godly. It can only make you feel good. But in reality, boredom of worship is not boredom with a worship format, but boredom with the rock of our salvation. Boredom with the rock of our salvation. Spiritual boredom is a cover for hardness of heart towards God. Thank you, Father, for your word this morning. Thank you that you are the great God and Lord, master and king of our lives. We need revival, not a format. We don't need a band up here. That'll make us love you. Steel strings on a neck of an instrument will give us revival. Ivory keys pressed up and down will make us love you, Jesus. No. No one and nothing can make us love you, Lord, except the Spirit of God working in the heart of a godly believer that is so overwhelmed with their salvation they can't stop praising you. May this be who we really are today. Turkey awaits for some. Football awaits for others. The battle with loneliness and being alone awaits still others yet. But for we who love you, we are never alone. And we have your word, and we're going to heaven. And for this, we greatly thank you in your name. Amen.